Welcome back, my friends. My name is Rob Booker. You can find more information about my investing and short-term trading approach at robbooker.com. All right. In this private podcast episode, we'll continue to summarize the big ideas from Seth Klarman's famous book, Margin of Safety. Let's continue. Number 12, short-term relative performance derby. Like dogs chasing their own tails, most institutional investors have become locked into a short-term relative performance derby. Fund managers at one institution have suffered the distraction of hourly performance calculations. Numerous managers are provided daily comparisons of their results with those of managers at other firms. Frequent competitive ranking can only reinforce a short-term investment perspective. It is understandably difficult to maintain a long-term view when, faced with the penalties for short-term performance that is poor, the long-term view may well be from the unemployment line. Investing without understanding the behavior of institutional investors is like driving in a foreign land without a map. You may eventually get where you're going, but the trip will certainly take longer and you risk getting lost along the way. Seth Klarman has a lot of big words and long sentences in this section, but here's what he's saying. When you begin to compare yourself to others in the investment or day trading world, you start to decline in performance. You're always going to do worse if you're comparing yourself to others. And you'll always take profit too quickly and you'll always stop out too quickly or too late. Because you're comparing yourself to someone else, you're trying to achieve something that you don't truly understand. But what you can understand is how you do well at your own style of trading. My style of trading might not be for you. What I do is a high probability system of shorting stocks that are irrationally jumping up during the day. And I wait for them to begin to fall before I enter. And I stop out if things don't go well. The win percentage is so high because this irrational movement is not sustainable. Now, if all I did all day long was compare myself to other short sellers, I might find myself doing worse. There are some incredibly successful short sellers. In the history of short selling, maybe one person captures the attention of many more than others. It's a guy who was once upon a time, five or six years ago, parking cars for a living with a $1,500 trading account, who turned that into over $12 million. Now, if I just sit around comparing myself to this person, well, what's that going to do for me? It's going to make me want to get to $12 million faster. It's going to make me cut corners. It's going to make me want to do things that I shouldn't be doing. Instead, why not just focus on true principles, learn them for yourself, work with a community of traders, and get to know what works for you. By the way, if you'd like to meet that trader and work together with me and him and others, you can simply go to robbooker.com, hit me up and let me know. All right, number 13. First, avoid losses. Warren Buffett likes to say that the first rule of investing is don't lose money. And the second rule is never forget the first rule. I too believe that avoiding loss should be the primary goal of every investor. This does not mean that investors should never incur the risk of any loss at all. Rather, don't lose money means that over several years an investment portfolio should not be exposed to appreciable loss of principal. While no one wishes to incur losses, you couldn't prove it from an examination of the behavior of most investors and speculators. The speculative urge that lies within most of us is strong. The prospect of a free lunch can be compelling, especially when others have already seemingly partaken. It can be hard to concentrate on potential losses 
while others are greedily reaching for gains and your broker is on the phone offering shares in the latest hot initial public offering. Yet the avoidance of loss is the surest way to ensure a profitable outcome. All right, as a short seller, I know this is true. If a short selling position goes above the high of the day, I've got to get out and I can always get back in later. Most of the time, it barely goes above the high of the day. I stop out and then I re-enter later with a slightly larger position. It works for me. But by first avoiding losses, I never have to worry about my position and I can sleep well at night knowing that I've done my job. I don't want to lose my principal. All right, let's continue. Number 14, relevance of temporary price fluctuations. In addition to the probability of permanent loss attached to an investment, there's also the possibility of interim price fluctuations that are unrelated to underlying value. Many investors consider price fluctuations to be a significant risk. If the price goes down, the investment is seen as risky regardless of the fundamentals. But are temporary price fluctuations really a risk? Well, not in the way that permanent value impairments are, and then only for certain investors in specific situations. It is, of course, not always easy for investors to distinguish temporary price volatility related to the short-term forces of supply and demand from price movements related to business fundamentals. The reality may only become apparent after the fact. While investors should obviously try to avoid overpaying for investments or buying into businesses that are subsequently declining in value due to deteriorating results, it's not possible to avoid random, short-term market volatility. Indeed, investors should expect prices to fluctuate and should not invest in securities if they cannot tolerate some volatility. What he's saying here is, listen, Apple Computer could one day drop 20 or 25% in a broad market meltdown due to an election, a war, or external events. If the decline in the price of a stock is due to an overall market activity and not really necessarily reflective of something going on with that company, you can know that that irrational movement will probably correct itself. If, however, for example, Apple Computer announces that China has outlawed all iPhones and cut off the market entirely, well, that's a deteriorating market situation for Apple as a business. That's a big deal. And that would be a real big difference because it's specific to that stock. Somewhere in the middle would be a bad earnings report. Let's say Apple Computer announces a loss over a holiday season on declining phone sales or a supply chain hiccup or something like that. Well, that could be a temporary opportunity to buy Apple at a discount. Short-term problems are not long-term issues. So we could probably comfortably get into a position on a day where the rest of Mr. Market thinks that Apple is falling apart and it's only a temporary setback. Let's continue. Number 14.5. If you're buying sound value at a discount, do short-term price fluctuations even matter? In the long run, they don't matter much. Value will ultimately be reflected in the price of a security. Indeed, ironically, the long-term investment implication of price fluctuations is in the opposite direction from the near-term market impact. For example, short-term price declines actually enhance the returns of long-term investors. There are, however, several eventualities in which near-term price fluctuations do matter to investors. Security holders who need to sell in a hurry are at the mercy of market prices. The trick of successful investors is to sell when they want to, not when they have to. 
Near-term security prices also matter to investors in a troubled company. If a business must raise additional capital in the near term to survive, investors in its securities may have their fate determined at least in part by the prevailing market price of the company's stocks and bonds. The third reason long-term oriented investors are interested in short-term price fluctuations is that Mr. Market can create very attractive opportunities to buy and sell. If you hold cash, you're able to take advantage of such opportunities. If you are fully invested when the market declines, your portfolio will likely drop in value, depriving you of the benefits arising from the opportunity to buy in at lower levels. This creates an opportunity cost, the necessity to forego future opportunities that arise. If what you hold is illiquid or unmarketable, the opportunity cost increases further. The illiquidity precludes your switching to better bargains. As a side note, this is why I only hold my short selling trades overnight. I'll hold a stock overnight. It'll jump up 100% on day one. I'll short it. It will decline 20 or 30% and I'll get out. Now that stock could eventually go to zero and my gains could be greater. But the biggest move happens in the shortest period of time. So the next morning I'll close that position and I'll look for another brand new stock that's moved 100% or more in an irrational movement. I'll hold that overnight for the quickest, most high probability gains. And then maybe over the next three or four months, that stock goes to zero. But I'll be long gone because the first 20 or 30% of a decline happens overnight. The next 20 or 30 or 40 or 50% decline doesn't happen overnight. It takes a long time. So I'll be long gone by then. All right, let's continue. Number 15. Reasonable and consistent returns are better than spectacular and volatile returns. A corollary to the importance of compounding is that it's very difficult to recover from even one large loss, which could literally destroy all at once the beneficial effects of many years of investment success. In other words, an investor is more likely to do well by achieving consistently good returns with limited downside risk than by achieving volatile and sometimes even spectacular gains, but with considerable risk of principle. An investor who earns 16% annual returns over a decade, for example, will, perhaps surprisingly, end up with more money than an investor who earns 20% a year for nine years and then loses 15% the 10th year. Our job is to protect our principle. Well, that's my quote. All right, when we come back, we'll cover 16, 17, 18, and 19 from Seth Klarman's Margin of Safety.